It's good to be back with you. I've, uh, um, I was here last week, but I've, I've been gone for a couple weeks and not preaching for a couple weeks. So uh, I just know that uh, Pastor Dan and Pastor Evan just did such a fantastic job while I was gone. And so um, it's, it's so good to have so many uh, just godly people who can preach the word and do such a fantastic job. And so it's, it's a blessing to be a part of uh, this, to me, this team and this community. And so... Um, With that said, we are uh, in week four of a series going through the book of Acts, and uh, I want to just take a couple moments to review where we've been. We won't land on this for too long, uh, but I want to take a few moments to do that, and then we will uh, talk about where we're going this morning. And so as we began the series in the book of Acts, we talked uh, through the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and that one, the, the main point that we hit on there was that there's no sin so small that is beyond God's justice, but there's no sin so big that's beyond God's. God's grace. This idea that, yeah, we need to work on it from the inside out, that there are small, quote-unquote, small sins we have, but there is no such thing as a small sin because small, quote-unquote, sins have big consequences. But for us, so we need to be changed in the things that might seem small. We need to make those changes because they can have huge consequences and impact. So that was the first week. The second week, uh, Dan came up here and, and he shared the idea of Stephen versus the crowd and the temptation to, to be more like the crowd and, and what it meant to uh, be. He was very transparent about sharing with his own um, just desire to allow what other people think to just be able to shape how he puts things online or whatever it is and how he interacts. But the, the main point that he hit on was this idea that the temptation will always be to follow the crowd. But when tempted by the crowd, yield to the spirit. And so we saw the difference between the crowd and then we saw when Stephen was yielded to the spirit and and how incredible that testimony and that example was. And then last week, uh, Pastor Evan came up and he talked about this idea that we are all in transition. And some may be terrific, some may be terrifying, but if we let God take charge, then we will thrive. And so he did a great job kind of going through different concepts in the books of Acts chapter 8 and, and reading the whole chapter and diving into a lot of different things. And it was just such a great uh, opportunity for us to dive into that very important chapter. That was a turning point, as he alluded to, uh, in the book of Acts. So if you've missed any of the weeks in this series, you could go to the website. You can look them up on the messages tab we alluded to earlier. And you could go ahead and uh, be caught up that way. But this morning, uh, we're going to look at um, another story in chapter 10 of Acts. But before we do, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning, and we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that it is living and active. Lord, we thank you that reading through the book of Acts, and, and we are learning so many things and being challenged by so many things, Lord, that happened 2,000 years ago, Lord, but we still can face these uh, same temptations or struggles or trials or, or situations today. Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a powerful way, a personal way, and in an impactful way to each person that is here listening or listening online. We love you. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned, I was gone for, uh, for one whole Sunday, and while I was there, I was in Canada uh, for this Aero Leadership Program, um, and I will talk uh, more about it at another time, because it's really impactful, really powerful program I've been a part of, and, and learning the whole idea is just the idea of being led more by Jesus, leading more like Jesus, and leading more people to Jesus. And so it's this threefold uh, purpose, and so it was fantastic. But one of the things that was uh, interesting, just fun for me, is 
Jesus. I was in Canada, which was beautiful, and it was an amazing time. Uh, we were in the part of Canada that was like, it was just gorgeous, whereas my friends were coming from Edmonton, who it snowed in September. I'm like, oh man. I was like, the Lord called me to San Diego. Um, <laughs> but there's this time where we're, it's, it's like you, you're, have you ever had this time where you're around people, but then very quickly you kind of feel like you're on the outside looking in? And not because they're mean people, not because they're trying to be rude, but, you know, they'd be like, oh man, they would say like, they didn't say it as much as you thought, but they do say A, and it's so much nicer because we say, like our version of it is like, hey, it's hot outside, huh? Like this, huh? It's just this like such a harsh sound, and it's like, you will agree with me, huh? Like it's a very weird dynamic where they're like, hey, it's hot outside, eh? I'm like, oh, you're so nice, I want to agree with you. But... They didn't say it as much as I thought, but they, they did say it. But one of the things that they would talk about often is, oh, man, it's beautiful outside. It's like 20 degrees. I'm like, I, yep. I understand that Celsius is a thing, but I don't, like, I couldn't wrap my head around it. And so they would, so I just, I would just embrace the fact that I was on the outside looking in. And so I would just make up what Celsius meant. I'm like, hey, how many, uh, how many Celsius until our next meeting? What's that? How much, how long is that? Or, hey, how long is this walk? Is that like a two Celsius walk or what? And they just gave me a pity laugh like you guys did and just rolled their eyes. But um, this idea of when you're on the outside looking in, and then on the very last day, we're driving in the bus back home. Someone's like, oh, all you got to do to figure out what a Celsius compared to Fahrenheit is you double the Celsius and then you add 30. I'm like, that's a lot of math. But you do, so if it's 24 degrees, you double that to 48 and then you add 30 to it. So it's 78 degrees. Like, oh, that is, that is a nice day. And I'm like, I'm glad I found this out on the last day. But this idea of, of being on the outside looking in can be funny when we look at something like little differences like Celsius versus Fahrenheit, but it can also be really difficult when we're trying to maybe know people who are far from God or reach out to people far from God because they may look at us as a church, not necessarily Pomerado Christian Church, but as Christians as part of the Capital Seed Church, and they would be looking on the outside looking in and, and wondering why we do certain things or say certain things or, or what that looks like. And where it really gets difficult is when you look on Google, and if you were to type in, why are Christians so, and you click search, the things you see are things like, why are Christians so negative? Why are Christians so hypocritical? Why are Christians so judgmental? Why are Christians so annoying? And why are Christians so repulsive? Like, these are harsh words, painful words. And if they don't cut you to the heart like they cut me, then, then I would hope that this is something that through this time together, we recognize how important it is for us to be able to be a light in a dark place and not a people that are perceived to be hypocritical and annoying and different and Repulsive. So for us today, as we're going to dive into Acts chapter 10, the main point for us is this idea, as we look at Peter and Cornelius, the main point for us is that in order to reach those who are on the outside looking in, God has to change us from the inside out. That in order to reach people on the outside looking in, God has to change us from the inside out. Because we can't just stay the way that we are. We can't just do the things that we've always been doing. And, and thankfully, Acts chapter 10 can reveal some things about Peter, which I think will help reveal some things about us. In order for Peter to reach Cornelius, God had to do a work in him before him. And so 
We're not going to read through the whole chapter uh, today, but in Acts chapter 10, 1 through 8, we see a story of Cornelius, who's a man who was on the outside looking in. He was someone that was a God-fearing centurion. He was in charge of 100 soldiers in the Italian cohort. He gave generously. He gave generously, especially to, to Jewish causes. He received a vision from an angel of God who said, your alms, your, your giving has been brought as a memorial before God, has been seen as a sacrifice before God. And so I want you, the angels telling Cornelius, that there's a man in Joppa, which is about 30 miles away, about 30 Celsius away, just kidding, um, about 30 miles away, and it became this thing where it's like, go, go have some of your men send for him. Because you need to hear what he has to say. And so this is what Cornelius does. He, he was on the outside looking in, but he wanted to understand more about God. And so he was doing good things, but he hadn't had a relationship yet with the good God. That it's not just about our religious works or people who don't know God who do good things. That's, that's still not enough to have a right relationship with Jesus. Because we have to recognize that it's not about our works. We can't earn our way into heaven. But he was able to... Um, see that he was on the outside looking in, but before Peter could be used by him, by God, he had to be changed by God. So there's two key words in your notes that we're going to take a look at today, and, and those two key words come from Acts chapter 10. The first one is clean, and the second one is common. So the two key words that we're going to look at today are clean and common, clean and common. And so for the first point is we're going to take this emphasis on clean. And so uh, the, the point underneath there, that sub point, is that we can't just change our actions to be clean. We must allow God to change our heart to be truly clean. We see this in Acts chapter 10. We're going to jump into Peter's vision in verse 9. So this is after God had sent uh, Cornelius an angel to send people to Joppa to pick up Peter. And while that's happening, this is what Peter is experiencing. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, they being the men sent from Cornelius, Peter went up on a roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Well, surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now, we're going to stop there because if we just were to take that passage and those few verses, it would look very much like God is specifically just saying, hey, those those." Dietary restrictions that we, that we talked about in the Pentateuch or the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, you know, he's repealing that now. So you can eat anything you want to eat now. That's, that's where we could take it and just stop right there. But the reason that Peter got so flustered by this, this call from the Lord was that from the very beginning, God's people had been told about the importance of being clean, about being set apart about if there was a dead body that you weren't to touch the dead body because then you would then no longer be clean that if you had committed some sort of sin that you had to go and and make a sacrifice because if not then you were no longer clean that this idea of being clean was so vital to the fabric of the Jewish understanding that they would say that we have to be set apart and by being set apart the plan in the old testament 
that we see is that by God's people, if they were truly set apart, and then if God's blessings were to come upon those people who were set apart, that then the nations would be able to see those blessings, and then they would want to follow God. And we see that happening in different circumstances. We see the idea of Rahab in Joshua 2, how she wanted to... to um, be able to be in Jericho and help the, the Israelites come in and, and be able to escape, say, take me with you. We saw that with people from Egypt who came with them into the wilderness and escaped from Egypt as well. So we see that it happened, but it was all contingent on the idea that the Jewish people had to stay clean. They could not be sullied. They could not mix with other races or Gentiles. They could not do these things because then they would no longer be set apart. And so this idea of clean is so much more than just our external actions. And this is what God is helping us to see here. It's so much more than just, in this case, the food that Peter would eat. But maybe for us, it's not a dietary restriction, but maybe for some of us, it's, it's that God has to change our understanding about what it means to be clean because being clean is more than just eliminating bad words that we say. It's more than just not listening to certain kind of music. It's more than just not partaking in certain activities. It's more than just not watching certain, certain shows or movies. It's more than these things that cause us to stumble. It's not just the outside things. Because we know in our heart of hearts, if we did those outside things, but God didn't make a change within us, we would still be just as sinful. Because we recognize that the sin is a condition of the heart. That there is none that are righteous, no, not one. That we recognize is that Jesus talks to us about this exact idea in Matthew 23, 27 through 28. He's talking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the scribes. And it's a section that talks about these seven woes. Like, woe to you because of this and woe to you because of that. Well, here's one of the ones he talks about that could be relevant to our discussion today. It's verse 27 and 28. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything, what? Unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And so we see in this circumstance that the, the Pharisees who were following the idea of what it meant to be clean, that they did all the right things, they, they said all the right things, they fasted when they're supposed to fast, they prayed out in corners, everybody looked at them to be the holiest ones, but on the inside, they've allowed the, the God to only change their external circumstances and their external actions, not to necessarily dig deep enough to, into the internal struggles of the heart. And the sinfulness that we all have deep inside. And so the point of this is this idea that we need to go beyond the external thoughts of cleanliness. That just saying, oh, because I don't do that activity means I'm, I'm clean. Good. Don't do activities that will cause you to stumble. Or don't do activities that will cause other weaker brothers or sisters to stumble, as 1 Corinthians 8 says. So I'm not saying start doing all these other things. But what I'm saying is that not doing all these things is not necessarily enough. That in order for us to reach those on the outside looking in, God has to change us from the inside out, starting with this idea of the word clean. And so what's the response is, is we see when David, when he was called out for his sin with Bathsheba in Psalm 51, he has this verse that we've, we've sang songs about and we've heard many times, but it says, God, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
It's recognizing that, no, we're not always going to get this right because all of us fall short still, and we all sin. I do, you do, we do. It's not like we're just perfect all of a sudden, but we can ask God to create in us a new heart. We can ask him to give us a steadfast spirit to continue in the journey steadfastly of pursuing him despite the fact that there's temptations and struggles and trials along the road. And so the first thing we want to do is address this idea of clean, that we can't just change our actions to be clean, but we must allow God to change our heart to be clean by confessing those things, by, as we mentioned a few weeks ago with Ananias and Sapphira, confessing, finding accountability, having people come alongside you, and not just being a silo or someone who's on your own in this Christian walk, but have brothers and sisters who will be with you in the journey and will bear your burdens when you need it, and you'll bear theirs when they need it. So that's this idea of clean. But then this next idea here is that changing maybe the perception of what the word common means. So this idea is we can't just look at anyone as simply being common. People have value because people matter to God. We can't look at people and say, oh, they're common. Because people matter. Because people have value, I'm sorry. Because people matter, matter to God. You know, when you're walking around, uh, wherever it may be, it's, it's not that, it's pretty common for us to be able to see pennies lying on the ground, right? You just walk by and you see a penny there. And there was a study recently that was uh, done in January of 2018 that talks about how 56% of Americans will pick up a penny, which means that 44% are like, eh, it's not worth the time. I read an article that talked about how um, people did the math and said, if you make a certain amount of money and you take three seconds in order to pick up a penny, is it actually physically worth your time to pick up a penny? I'm like, that's a, again, I'm not about the math, right? So I'm like, it's a Celsius, I don't know. But um, it's this idea of, we look at these pennies and it's like, is this, is this the reason people don't pick it up, why? Is because, oh, it's, it's kind of common. You see it all the time. Like the only two times that I think of a penny are like, oh, if I want to pick one up so that my daughter can throw it into a fountain, or if we want to go to the San Diego Zoo and we want to get one of those souvenir pennies by stamping a parakeet on it. Like these are the only times I think about a penny. So I want to just, quick question, how many of you this morning when you walked in, how many of you noticed any pennies on the floor when you walked in? Okay, keep your hands raised. How many of you picked one up? Keep your hands raised. We're about one and two. You guys are right about the, the mathematical thing. But the reason we brought that up is sometimes we look at that and it's like, well, maybe, that, maybe someone else is saving it. No, that's not what we think. But we think, you know, this is not necessarily, you know, whether it's worth it for us or whatever. But it's this idea that if something becomes too common, we begin to disregard it. So I'm not saying if you didn't pick it up, you're disregarding American currency and you don't care about the economy. Don't go that way. But I'm just saying this idea of commonality or the commonness of things around us can cause us to lose a heart for the value that those things have. And if we see something as too common, then we might be tempted to not see their value. And let's, let's jump in. We're going to uh, go through some of these verses here where we see that Peter, while he was still wondering about that vision, the men from Joppa show up, or sorry, the men going to him to Joppa, they show up, they say, hey, uh, our, our Cornelius, he's our centurion, he told us to come get you. And he said, well, you know, I, I guess I'll go. So he goes there, and we're going to jump back up into the story about verse 23b. So kind of not the very beginning of 23, but when it talks about Peter at Cornelius' house. Uh, 
He says, the next day, Peter started out with them, again, the men, uh, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. That's important. We'll talk to that later. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Verse 27. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Verse 28, he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Now I want to read that exact same verse again in the ESV. This is the NIV, the New International Version. In the ESV, the English Standard Version, it says this, and Peter said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Again, the translation can be common or impure, but the definition of impure is a separation from the fact of they weren't part of the Jewish people that were set apart, that were cleaning themselves and making sure that they didn't touch anything that would defile them. So as the opposite of clean, as pure in the sight of God, they would use this word impure to refer to Gentiles, to anyone who did not come from a Jewish background. But this idea that jumped out at me is not so much pure or impure, but this idea of common, because it shows us that we can't look at other people as common, as people that don't matter to God. And then we see that it's this focus on this idea of commonality that Peter caught something that if, if the story had ended earlier in verse 15, that maybe we would, didn't catch. But in verse 15, he talks about how uh, the voice spoke to him and said, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. We would still look at that in the context as referring to the types of food that was laying down on the sheet. But Peter caught that God wasn't teaching him about his dietary restrictions anymore. He, taught, he caught that the Lord was showing him that, as verse 28 says, that it, we, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. That it was about people. And that Peter knew that had the, the people come to him from, uh, from Cornelius earlier in that day, he would have said, get away. I don't associate with Gentiles. But God had to work in him so that in order to reach those on the outside looking in, God has to work on us from the inside out. You know, in this time, the Jews, they did. They looked down on the Gentiles because they were dirty. They were impure. They were common. They were unclean. And if there was Google back in the day, you could probably type in, why are Jews so? And in that day, the answers would be, why are they so negative? Why are they so hypocritical? Why are they so judgmental? Why are they so annoying? Why are they so repulsive? That the same terminology that people use for us as modern day Christians could be used for Jews back in that day from the perspective of the Gentiles. In the same way that modern-day Christians, from the perspective of people who don't know God, they see us in a way that is unflattering, to say the least. But this is the same mindset that would have happened. And so, as we mentioned in the beginning, Gentiles, including God-fearing ones like Cornelius, were on the outside looking in. And Warren Wiersbe says that these were not Gentiles asking for a lecture on a Jewish religion. This was not an academic pursuit that Cornelius sent his people to get the information from Peter. They were not Gentile asking for a lecture on Jewish religion. They were lost sinners begging to be told how to be saved. 
that when we have interactions with people who don't know the Lord and we're talking with them, it's more than just sharing them about our religion and what we believe. It's, it's recognizing that these are people who, like us, have been lost and like us need to be saved and like us can only be saved by Jesus Christ. We talked about it earlier. If Peter had received this, the visitors earlier in the day, he wouldn't have gone. And he says as much in verse 29. 29, he says, So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. He would have raised an objection had he not had that vision from God right before. And so Warren Wiersbe, again, has a quote that's on the screen. says that God was not simply changing Peter's diet. He was changing his entire program. The Jew was not clean and the Gentile unclean, but both Jew and Gentile were unclean before God. And we see this further in Romans 3, 22 through 24. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But thankfully, thanks be to God, all are justified by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That those of us who have grown up in a Christian home versus those of us who didn't grow up in a Christian home, we all need to know who Jesus is. That those of us that, that maybe have had a background and we know who God is, but maybe we've fallen away, we, we still need to know who Jesus is. That when you see someone who doesn't believe what you believe or say what you say or think how you think or vote how you vote or love who you love or live how you live, we don't look down on them as common. We recognize that like us, that we were once still sinners, that we were once far from God. And so it's not a, oh, you're a sinner and now we look down on you. Let us have a, let's have a reason just to help you. It's let's get to know these people and walk alongside these people and to recognize that God may have to change us from the inside out before we can help them on the outside looking in. Because every person that you have ever looked in the eye is someone that God has created, that Jesus has died for, and that the Holy Spirit may want to use you to reach. There are no people who are just common throwaways. That everyone has value, that people have value, because people matter to God, which is why he sent Jesus down here in the first place. Peter stepped into a Gentile's house for the very first time in verse 28 and 29. And he shared about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And in verses 44 through 47, we're going to jump and hear his story. And then we're going to see what God did in the hearts of the people when that concluded. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of, these, of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Now, remember how we talked about the importance of those men going with Peter from Joppa to Cornelius. Now, they are witnesses to the fact that God has reached out to the Gentiles as well. That God has poured out his Holy Spirit on the Gentiles as well. That the Holy Spirit wasn't no longer beholden to this idea that there were clean people and only the clean people can know God. And it wasn't this idea about the people being separated and then being blessed. And then that's how people would come to know 
Jesus, or people come to know who God is, but it's this idea that the Holy Spirit came down upon people who were deemed unclean, but he did not make someone that was people that were common. He made people that still need Jesus. And so because of that, these witnesses were completely changed too, that they were just following Peter, but they got to see the work, that because of what God had done in Peter, now Peter had shared with the Cornelius and the Gentiles, and now these witnesses are now saying, God is way bigger than we even imagine. And his plan for salvation through Jesus Christ is even bigger than we could imagine. He took that one small step into the Gentiles' house, the Cornelius' house, and it was one giant leap for this mankind's salvation because it was no longer restricted just to one people group being blessed and then people seeing it. It was open to all who would be ready to believe. And we see this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We see that the words that Jesus said at the ascension are starting to really come to fruition and culmination here in this passage. That in verse, chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The first seven chapters of this past, or the, the book of Acts that talks about Jerusalem, and it culminates with what Dan shared last, uh, two weeks ago rather, about Stephen in Jerusalem and how the Word and the Holy Spirit and people will be witnesses in Jerusalem. And then Evan, last week, he shared about in Acts chapter 8 how all of a sudden in Samaria that they were being able to hear the, the, the word of God. And, and when the people met with Peter and then when the, the apostles left, they started preaching to the different villages to spread throughout Judea and Samaria. And then he even mentioned how someone from Ethiopia was able to hear. So that was the beginning of the ends of the earth part. But this section in Acts 10 is the culmination of the idea that now the Gentiles can receive the Holy Spirit too. That salvation is no longer just held back based on one particular people group, but that through believing in Jesus Christ, all men and women can be saved. And so we see this culmination. And, and the last point for you as we close here is that we have a few very brief points about how we can be a centrifugal force to tell others about Jesus. Not a Celsius force, a centrifugal force to tell others about Jesus. And this comes from uh, the uh, parables Bible study that, that some of the people at the church here are going through. And it says this by Michael Wilkins. says, the mission now becomes centrifugal instead of centripetal. This means that instead of the Gentiles coming to Israel to hear, a good, uh, to hear God's message, Jesus' disciples are to go out to all the nations with the gospel. So the original plan of salvation here is this idea, again, that, that they would be set apart, they would be blessed, and people would come to them to find out about God. But through this passage, through the book of Acts, we start to see that it's now those of us who have a relationship with God are now called to go out into the world in ever-increasing circles in order to have an ever-increasing impact on those far from God. Recognizing that we are not perfect people, but we are people who are being changed by God. What to make a change in the world? And so we see this idea that they're just, this is similar to what uh, Pastor Evan shared last week about the idea of polarity. If you remember that message, it's the very same idea, very similar idea. So what are a few things that we can do that would help us to be a centrifugal force, that would help us to go out into the world and to be impacting people with the gospel of Jesus? Number one, the idea of focus less on being right 
and more on loving people. Focus less on being right and being more on loving people. That, yes, we want to stand up for truth, but we, we want to stand up for truth in love. That truth without truth, or truth without love is not really truth, and love without truth is not really love. That they got to go hand in hand. That Kerry Newhoff, he says this, he's a pastor and, and, and well-known um, author. He says, I realized years ago, it's not on the screen, so just listen. I realized years ago that very few people get judged into life change. Far more get loved into it. It also occurred to me that the presence of judgment almost always guarantees an absence of love. And he asked the question, what would happen if Christians stopped judging the world? Isn't that God's job? And started loving it instead. In other words, what good will it be for the church to win the culture wars, but to forfeit winning souls to Jesus. Doesn't mean we don't stand up for truth, but we have to have love there because if we just stand up for truth and we don't know any people who don't know Jesus, and if people who don't know Jesus don't have a relationship with anyone who are Christians, then when we stand up for truth, they're gonna look at it as hypocritical, annoying, judgmental, repulsive. So we have to build those relationships by, not, by focusing less on what being right, but more on loving people. The next idea is just for us to step outside of our comfort zone. That it's easy for us to stay so plugged into multiple Bible studies or, or multiple groups where it's only surrounded by other Christians and we only have our friends that also know Jesus. And that's awesome. Community is so important. But we recognize that we have to be plugged in not just to the people of the church, but to the purpose, which is to bring those far from God near to God. So we need to be plugged in to getting plugged in with other people, to community and getting to know other people. Carrie Newhoff says again, Jesus pursued friendships with people who were different than him, whose lifestyles were far different than anything God had in mind for them or for people in relationship with him. Yet Jesus was their friend. He went to their house for dinner. They traveled together. They shared moments and meals and life. So stepping out of our comfort zone or stepping out of what could be known as a Christian bubble so that we build relationships with people on the outside looking in so that we can show them the love that God has for them, that every person that we lock eyes with is someone that God has created, that Jesus has died for, and the Holy Spirit may want to use you to reach. And number three, be the church wherever you are. Not always just invite people to church. Yes, do that but be the church. May our church continue to be a place where it's less invitational, come see us, less centripetal, come to our place to see how we've been set apart and it's less invitational and may we be more a church that's continuing to become more and more incarnational, that is going out into the place and being Jesus with flesh on so that people who don't know Jesus would be able to see what that looks like. And so be the church wherever you are. Karen Newhoff says, but moving forward, we will have more in common with our first century counterparts in Christianity than with our 20th century forebears, because they lived out their faith in a world that didn't share their values. But rather than fight their non-Christian counterparts, they laid down their life for them. They were the church. They were Christians, which meant little Christs. They were people who followed the example of Jesus, who took it as pure joy to Rejoice in suffering so that people would know who he is. So as we close this morning, 
I just want to ask a couple questions for us to process. What would it look like if the church was known more, and I don't just mean our church, but all of Christendom, the church, capital C Church, was known more for what we were for than what we were against? What would it look like when people searched Google for why are Christians so they didn't see repulsive and annoying and hypocritical? What would it look like if we lived lives to the point where they say, why are Christians so, and the top things say loving and warm and generous and sincere and different in the best kind of way of different? And what would it look like if you and I became or were the ones to change the perception of Christianity in our world, because we are constantly recognizing that we are not perfect people that are perfectly clean and that have it all together, and then we look at other people as common because they're different than us. But what if we recognize that we are not perfect people, but we are people who've been changed by God, are still being changed by God to make a change in this world, and so that way we can truly take hold of the fact that in order for us to reach those who are on the outside looking in, that God will have to change us from the inside out. And I wonder if you're ready to take that journey with us. Father, we thank you so much for this morning, and we thank you that you are here in this place. We thank you, Lord, that um, there's some tough things for us to wrestle with. There's some uh, maybe encouraging things for us to process, Lord. But, but I pray that you would meet everybody where they are right now with whatever point that was brought up that maybe resonated, Lord. Areas in which we need to be changed so that we can help be the change that we want people to experience in you. Or whether it's just something where... We still need to find that accountability. We still need to find those friends to be able to confess to so that we're not just thinking that we are perfect. Maybe it's the idea, Lord, that we just need to step out of our comfort zone and find people who don't know you or to actually build relationships with people that we do know that don't know you, but not for the purpose of them being a project that we are working on, but rather for them being the people that you've created and getting to know and love people. Lord, thank you that you saved us while we were on the outside looking in and that you, while we were still sinners, you sent Jesus to die for us. So Lord, may we be messengers of that great gospel, that great good news that no matter where we came from, what our past looks like, what house we, we lived in or what country we grew up in, Lord, that all can be saved by the grace of Jesus Christ and by putting our faith in him. And I pray that you would help us to be messengers of that. And for anyone in this room or online who doesn't have that relationship yet, that you would stir a discontent until that conversation happens and that peace that only comes from you can happen. So Lord, we love you. Thank you for this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would like to pray, um, come forward for prayer. We'll have that available um, now and after service. But until then, if you're not in that place, may we worship the good God who gives us this gift of salvation together through song. And so if you need to stand to worship, if you need to come forward for prayer, whatever you need to do in response, please feel free to do so.